Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about housing inventory going negative year over year, which is the last thing we wanted to see right now. We may have just gotten back from Gathering of Eagles, but we're not done with events for 2023 yet. This October, we're headed right back to Austin, Texas for Housing Wire Annual, and we want to see you there. We've got a power-packed agenda with content such as our Women of Influence speakers, peak performer playbooks, CEO playbooks, and more to propel your company forward, as well as a bunch of networking events. Because this event is open to real estate executives, mortgage title, and everyone in between, you really have the opportunity to network with people from all across the housing ecosystem. If you want to learn more about the event, or if you're already ready to get registered, head over to housingwire.com on the events tab and you can learn all about it. Not to mention, if you're an HW Plus member, you're going to get 50% off your ticket. So get registered for HW Plus and get registered for the event so we can see you out in Austin. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. I hope you enjoyed your happy 4th. I did. And we had that really fun, special 4th of July episode of the podcast, which I appreciate. And I think uh, we we got some great responses out of that. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's a good day. It's always a good day to be bullish about America. It is. It is not a good day for inventory. It was not, a, not good news this weekend. You always get the Altos research data, which is fresher than the, the NAR data about what we're looking at for inventory. So recap, where are we with inventory? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the headline that we had for the tracker was that um, inventory is negative on the weekly data. Um, And inventory being negative on the weekly data needs to be explained because that means the slope of the curve, which means that, you know, when we get the seasonal bottom in 2023 and the move higher was so slow that it's actually created a, it's crazy to say this because we're supposed to be in housing bubble 2.0 crash, negative year over year inventory before July 4th. I, I cannot express to you how abnormal that is unless you actually believe credit channels run inventory channels. And if you followed our work here for some time, how to t- trying to explain inventory um, and why I was never uh, afraid of these massive inventory spikes that the housing bubble boy people that I've realized are deleting their tweets from 2020 and 2021 now, um, why it, it's it's very difficult for something like that to happen. And so the question is, can inventory get back to all-time lows? But I first want to talk about like, how do we get to this spot? It's that if you look at the, the trend of uh, active listings, Whenever rates go lower, Sarah, it doesn't create more active inventory, it creates more demand. Um, so when that occurs, the ability for inventory to increase uh, becomes less because sellers are buyers. And this is one of the things that I've tried to convince people. I wish the Federal Reserve would understand this as well. Uh, supply is a function of demand in housing because that person providing that inventory traditionally 75 or 82% of the time is a buyer 
So it's one of these marketplaces where the, the supply-driven is also a demand-driven uh, factor. Well, what happened last year when mortgage rates got to 6%, and this is why I'm not a mortgage rate lockdown person, the affordability of housing got hit so hard, so fast, that the supply in terms of new listings started to go negative year over year. Um, and that trend has kept all the way up into this week, you know, this last week. And, uh, you know, I try to show people that, you know, sometimes the, the weekly new listings data uh, in 2021 and 2022 somewhat matched what we had in, in previous uh, years. But clearly in 2023, we had a, a big divergence. That means the affordability issue prevents supply and demand working. Um and I think one of the things that I've picked up from the Federal Reserve people is that they're kind of surprised why people won't list their homes. And I've always said, people don't sell to be homeless because if you become homeless and you have kids, the police will take your children away from you. So think of a very housing as very primal. You list your home because you either need to purchase another home or if you're financially stressed uh, the equity in your house, you can sell your house to go rent somewhere else, or if you can purchase a house with cash. But whatever it is, there there has to be a valid reason. If everybody's working and everybody has a very low total housing cost, the people that are applying their homes onto the market, every week we have sellers selling their low mortgage rates to buy another house with a higher mortgage rate. Why is that? Because the total cost for them is, is very acceptable. Um, so the 7% mortgage rates, which we're here again today, uh, for some home buyers, it, it's okay. But for a certain group of home buyers, no, no way, not even, not even close. So they're holding into their homes or the first time home buyer is not buying as much. So this is how you get demand to get down. That's why I always tell people that 4 million number in existing home sales after 1996, it's really rare to get below that. So we have a group of buyers right now that are still functioning. Uh, but because new listings data fell and then November 9th came, right? Purchase application data started getting better. So when we work off of November 9th, there's 20 positive prints, there's 11 negative prints. That means demand has picked up. Because that filters out in the, in the sales data a little bit later, that has prevented inventory from growing. Uh, it delayed the seasonal bottom, which was the longest time ever. So we got to April 14th. And then April 14th has been very slow. This is why when we went on CNBC on May 15th, I was trying to say, hey, listen, uh, uh, this is like the walking dead zombie. Um, and the uh, the anchor was saying, but inventory as a percentage is up 34%. Yeah, because you're working from all-time lows. So if the zombie growth continues from May 15th, guess what happens? We've hit that inflection point. And now active listings on a weekly, this is the authentic raw homes available for sale. This isn't, this isn't like the NAR. The NAR's data is actually negative year over year already, but they take all the pendings and uh, condos and everything put together. We just take the single family raw homes available. So it's hit, it's hit that inflection point. So the question is, can it possibly be that inventory goes back to all-time lows? Well, it would take more demand. And obviously with rates this high, that really can't happen. But it does explain that why we actually hit that inflection point in July. And I, I can't stress this enough. To have negative year-over-year data with rates at 7% uh, uh, just shows how 2022 was really abnormal. I mean, there were so many things that happened in that year that 
traditionally have never happened in America. Uh, with the lowest inventory ever, the biggest home sale crash ever, and the biggest mortgage rate spike ever. That's not happening anymore. So the slow growth has finally caught up to the 2022 data. And it's not just that we're negative year over year. If you compare this week to the same period or last week to the same period last year, didn't you tell me it was like five times less? You had five times more listings last year? Yeah, this is, you know, uh, somebody had told me because I do these Saturday morning teases on Twitter and I'd say, oh man, inventory is really disappointing. And then somebody said, well, it's July the 4th or, you know, nobody lists their homes. And I said, uh, last year at this time, we had almost 31,000 active listings growth. Same week last year. This is slightly below 6,000. So there's a difference, right? And you could track that to the new listings data. There's just fewer and fewer people uh, uh, listing their homes, especially on a year-over-year basis. In fact, um, in 2022, uh, just to throw out some numbers, it's we had 91,000 people uh, list their homes that week, uh, and it was higher than it was in 2021. But here, it's like 62,000. So we have a big difference, you know, uh, uh, on three different years, three different times before J- July the 4th, three different new listings data. 2021, uh, somewhat normal but compared to other trends. 2022, we actually saw year-over-year growth. But this year, no, it, there, there's a big deviation. So uh, it, it's it's part of the whole savagely unhealthy thing. And I've always said credit channels run inventory channels and because homeowners are doing really good, they are in control. That was the whole premise of the trying to go after the forbearance crash bros in the summer of uh, uh, 2020, that we, as a country, we have, we, we fix the uh, uh, lending system in America for, for housing, and homeowners are in control until they lose their jobs. And even if they lose their jobs, they have severance package, they have unemployment benefits, their total housing costs compared to their incomes are really low because they've stayed in their homes longer. So it's a much, much different uh, market dynamic than, let's say, 2002 to 2008, where people were losing their homes even if they were employed. You know, uh, uh, So there's two different cycles. And, and the thing is that when you have two, two of the most different cycles ever in history, and they're kind of back to back together... A lot of people think about the old war uh, um, and just can't let it go. And hopefully by now, all the work that we've done at Housing Wire, trying to explain inventory and credit and all these things, hopefully now after a historic negative year-over-year print, people can understand why the concern of being stuck in this low to- total active listings environment until uh, until we could uh, gr- grow inventory back is, is a problem. That's the whole concept of the savagely unhealthy housing market. Too many people chasing too few homes. I was just going to bring up the savagely unhealthy housing market because um, it's all about the fact that inventory uh, days on market has gone down. And the reason days on market have gone down is because there's just not enough homes. So they get snatched up so fast. They, they never get the chance to just stay. Yeah. And it's, you know, you know, trying to convince this last year. And then when people say, oh, don't worry, the, the Fed has manipulated everything. As soon as rates go up to 5%, it's all over. That didn't happen. In fact, uh, January of uh, this year, when days on market was at 33 days, I was like jumping for joy. I said, yes, we're back over 30 days. This is normal. That didn't last long. We're back to 18 days again. We're only two days higher than last year, except the big difference is home sales are this low. And I think one, one of the things I've tried to uh, um, try to convey to people is that the supply and demand equilibrium doesn't care about your bias against housing. 
It's just that sales can be really low, but if inventory is lower, that equilibrium stays in place, right? And, and you know, for the 2023 forecast, I've said, if mortgage rates can stay above 5.875%, you can have prices decline, but it also needs demand to, you know, get weaker and needs inventory to grow. That that market changed on November 9th. That's why we created the weekly tracker. So we can teach you all how the boring housing economics really work. And uh, hopefully by now, now that we're past July 4th, some of these things have been tested. I mean, Sarah Wheeler, we're not talking about three really boring years. We're talking about COVID. We're talking about forbearance. We're talking about the biggest home sale crash. We're talking about 7% mortgage rate. We have had now four years of these really abnormal events that weren't part of the previous decade. And inventory is not that far from all-time lows. Why? Because credit channels run inventory channels. So I've been tested four times on my premise, and everyone else is talking about these massive supply spikes. Hasn't worked out. Has not worked out. Well, let's talk about some of the other things that you like to bring up, which is, and and you mentioned it a minute ago, was what the Fed thinks. So the Fed minutes came out, and and what does that tell us about where they might be headed? So the Fed is saying that housing demand has bottomed out. Okay, in, in some cases, that's true. The existing home sales market has stabilized. It hasn't been able to break under 4 million. And they, they see the builder's confidence rising. So here's where it takes it to another sophisticated, complicated discussion. The builders are living in a world where there are sub 6% mortgage rates. Right, so we're, they're not they're not dealing with the market rate that the existing home sales buyers and sellers are dealing with. So their sales are up twenty percent year over year. The existing home sales marketplace, on the other hand, is down twenty percent year over year, and we haven't been able to grow sales after that one big print. Why? Because mortgage rates are simply too high. So hopefully, I'm I'm hoping I'm just hoping there's somebody in the Federal Reserve that can actually explain this to them. Because one side of the marketplace is still in a recession because the demand is low. And we're not talking about the net volume demand. If you take the net volume demand versus the total workforce, you know, over 156 million, that's, it's, it's a very low number. So that, that demand has not increased uh, in, in any meaningful way. The new home sales market, on the other hand, Okay, so that's up. That's growing. The builder's confidence. We've wrote about this many times. You go with the builder survey index because it's it's a very efficient survey. It's not politically ideological survey that could that could show crazy things. They're here to make money. They can sell their stuff. They're going with it. And in traditional every economic expansion or you know housing leads you in or out of recession, the economy is recovering based on that except that they're living in a world where mortgage rates are much lower. Could you imagine where existing home sales would be if mortgage rates were below 6% like the builders got to have to play with? It's a much different conversation we're having right now. Um, so the, the Fed's talked about housing's bottom out. So they're kind of, okay, all right, we did what we needed to do. We don't really have to deal with it. But again, it goes into what what do they actually want housing to be because if they if they talked about housing reset and they said okay the reset is done but you still have people not listing their homes at what point does this get addressed because they, that'll be an interesting question because since they don't understand why people aren't listing their homes they need to be taught this right so the fed minutes kind of went into that and again the 10 year yield is starting to break out again um, and w- you know, our, our forecast with mortgage rates and 10 year yield revolves around labor data. 
labor data matters to us more this year than the growth rate of inflation because the growth rate of inflation is falling. Nobody's Nobody was forecasting any reacceleration, no matter what people tell you. So that's already priced into the market, but the 10-year yield is nowhere close now to the Gandalf line. But it's starting to see if it could test you know, the other line. So four and a quarter on the 10-year yield is, is my peak call um, or the W formation, as some people have, have noticed. But uh, the next few days are going to be interesting because we have job openings, jobless claims, ADP report. Uh, by the time this comes out, so some of those reports will already be uh, out there. And then we have uh, the jobs Friday. And uh, that to me matters more than what inflation is. And that's hopefully that explains why the 10-year yield is closer to 4% rather than 3%. Well, um, I'm glad that we have you to help us understand why it's closer to 4% than 3%, because it's not always clear to me. I think the thing is, you know, when you, when and you even brought this up, how is the Fed going to, so say they're like, okay, we're, the housing reset is done, but we're stuck in this market, uh, a market that in many ways they created that is going nowhere. It's savagely unhealthy. What is the, what is going to be the, the dam that breaks that? Sarah, they have no answers because in my experience, when I hear the Federal Reserve speak, kind of rookie answers. And I'm going to give you examples. Uh, when Jay Powell said housing was in a bubble, rookie answer. Wasn't in a bubble. When was this? This was uh, when they, uh, they there was a Q&A live on, on housing. Uh, I think the Wall Street uh, Journal, not Nick Tremere's, but somebody else was asking. He just said, oh, housing was in a bubble. But like, when, like recently? Oh, last year. Last year, when and if it's in a bubble, then the supply would be spiking, right? So every bubble boy, I mean, Jay Powell was a bubble boy, right? You know, you use that B word, okay? You're on the hook for it forever, right? You don't get to use that B word haphazardly. Um, so then he said, well, maybe these homes, these office towers can be converted into uh, uh, condos. That's another rookie answer. That's not happening uh, either. Um, and then the other talk about, you know, when Neil Kashkari said 6% mortgage rates is a problem because if people have sex, they have buy homes. And then our job is, is get out of here. Just stop that nonsense. But then Waller is all over the place. Housing is fine. Housing is a recession. Oh, no, home prices are accelerating. Home sales demand is very low. So, but it comes back to the Barkin uh, statement. He doesn't understand why people won't list their homes or why higher rates convince them not to list their homes. And that, that Sarah, I am not kidding you. I've done this for a very long time. That was one of the craziest things I've heard a Fed member say, and that's the president. That's the president barking of the Fed. That's one of the regional managing presidents. And for him to say that, you're like, wait a second. That means they don't understand supply is a function of demand here. So I, I just, I think they're third party regurgitators. They get information from different people, and when you get different, when you get information from third party, you're not. You're not versed. You're not in the battlefields, right? Uh, you haven't tested yourself because like for me, my whole life is in and out of day in and day out of looking at housing data. But if I was given information from other people, I'm not really, you know, battlefield tested. So this is why some of the Fed's comments seem particularly weird to certain people. But again, if you get your information from another person, you don't spend the time, you know, versing yourself on how housing economics works. You you might say crazy things like that, and and again, the ten year yield is three point nine four percent as we talked uh, today uh, after the Fed minutes. Four and a quarter is that test. 
So to me, how, how do, how, why would the 10 year yield get above four and a quarter? The economy is reaccelerating and the Fed wants that, you know, uh, real yields, you know, uh, uh, the 10 year yield above inflation, stuff like that. They want that to be uh, uh, tighter and restrictor. And then it goes into the, do they want a recession? Do they want a soft landing? Where are they at right now? And it, it just gets more and more interesting as we go longer in this process. And they've already paused once. And the Fed rate cuts have been, you know, postponed. I think for those of us that are not Fed pivot people, you know, uh, um, that was the right call. The Fed wasn't going to pivot until labor breaks. Labor hasn't broken yet. That's the story. That's why we say uh, labor over inflation if you're doing the raker, uh, paper, rock, scissor game for the 10-year-old. Well, and we have all those labor reports, as you said. What do you expect to see there? And and how did that? How does that play into your overall, you know, your sixth housing re- recession red flag? So not, not the housing recession. We know housing's in a recession, but that larger economic forecast, are, are we going to see, you know, what are we going to see? Is it a recession? What do you think? So here's where I think a lot of people are getting the recession call wrong. Everyone is front-loading off old economic models, right? But what I've seen Wall Street and other people do, they go headline into the recession talk and they're trying to prop their names up, but they don't leave themselves any wiggle room. This is why when I wrote the six recession red flag model, I said, what are two things that need to happen to help the economy grow more? Okay. I don't see anybody else even talking about that. Number one was the growth rate of inflation has to cool. It did, right? Real incomes are picking up now, right? Energy prices are down. Remember last year we had to deal with, I mean, we didn't even know if Europe was going to survive. Wheat prices were going crazy. Oil, you know, there was all these things. Those things are gone, right? The 10-year yield has to stop rising and mortgage rates have to fall. That has occurred. That's also occurred for the builders, right? So the housing leads you into the recession that a lot of Wall Street firms are using. That own index got better starting November 9th. And they're not addressing that, right? Because they never left themselves any wiggle room. That's why when I wrote that six recession red flag model, I said, these are two things that need to occur to help the expansion keep on going. Um, the second one was the Fed stops hiking and starts cutting rates. We're not there yet, but that aspect has kept things going. Uh, and you know, the last time I had my six recession red flags up was toward the end of two, uh, 2006. The recession didn't happen until 2008, and we had a lot more consumer credit stress back then, right? During the longest economic and job expansion in history, none of my six recession red flags were up. But here, August 5th, you know, even explaining that to the conference board, but. You have to leave yourself other variables. What can change this? And a big thing did, right? The growth rate of inflation fell and the 10-year yield stopped going down. The whole October 27th, housing could get better. November 9th, there you go. So it's uh, it's back and, back and forth, back and forth. And that's what economics is. You don't just put your head in the sand and keep on doubling down on something. You have to keep yourself open to all these different variables because economics is this moving thing. It doesn't necessarily agree with maybe one or two takes, but it has different things going for it. And I think the uh, energy prices falling benefit, uh, the 10-year yield falling benefit, but for housing, just like in the Fed Minute said, why are the builders doing so well? They're in a 6% plus uh, lower mortgage rate world. So if the existing home sales had that, we'd be totally having a much different conversation. So uh, uh, it's not it's not shocking to me. And again, labor dynamics are different. 
right? When we were the COVID-19 recovery model, we were the only people that said job openings, 10 million, we got there. So the rate of change of claims has to kind of account for that we're not one of these uh, uh, economic cycles where the entire credit market's going to crash like we saw uh, uh, kind of uh, b- back then during the housing bubble years. The 2005 bankruptcy reform laws and the 2010 qualified mortgage laws are so important. I can't stress this a lot. Those are two of the most unsung heroes ever in U.S. economics. They never get any love, but you can see, you know, we just came off the longest economic job expansion history. COVID-19 recovery was solid. We're still pushing through with higher rates and higher inflation when labor breaks, we'll see it in the claims data. We're not there yet. We're, we've risen from the bottom. Job openings have fallen, but we haven't broken that yet. I think that's the key. That's why you have to track weekly data. That's why you have to give yourself uh, uh, wiggle room with other variables if you're talking about a recession. I think that's that's the missing uh, key because I know a lot of people why they front-loaded a recession in January of 2022, but the corresponding data didn't go with it. Uh, that's why I always say you can't have a recession until claims breaks. Once jobless claims break over 323,000 on the four-week moving average, then, let, then let's go into that, comp, but not yet. So I've read a lot of things this week about hard landing, soft landing. We don't even know if th- what landing we're going to have, right? We don't know when the recession is going to happen, how deep it's going to be. From your perspective, hard or soft landing, what do you think? So I think this is a question on what people define as a hard or soft landing. Now, I believe the Federal Reserve thinks if unemployment rates stay 4.75% or under, it's a soft landing. That's that's their model because they believe the natural unemployment rate is really 5%. So uh, anything underneath there, that's that's okay. A hard landing to me really is like 7.75% or higher. Uh, on the unemployment rate, and the reason why I'm not a I'm not a hard landing uh, person. Your credit is stable. Um, the Fed has tools. If it really wanted to, it could keep the expansion going. Uh, they're not using those tools because they they want to uh, go down on inflation. So I think uh, a lot of bad things have to happen to have a hard landing. I can't model them out right now. But a soft landing, 4.75 and under, that, that's easier. So that's kind of where I, where I, I stand. Uh, getting above 4.75% unemployment rate, I would think the Fed failed on their, on their soft landing. Uh, uh, but uh, for some people, 7.75 and higher is a hard landing, right? Kind of like what we saw after the great financial crisis. Of course, COVID was a complete anomaly. We should take all that. Uh, data at, uh, off the grid, but that's that's where I lay, and uh, we can do this, right? We can do. I, I I honestly believe this. If the ten year yield fell and mortgage rates went lower, I'm I'm pretty sure all the Wall Street firms that are pushing recessions would actually have to give that up uh, because they've put so much weight on housing, and and it, they're in a really tough spot because the builders' confidence index has like is an expansion territory. And uh, they don't know what to make of it. But um, we try our best here to uh, explain to everybody, not just mortgage people and real estate people, but we've given presentations to Wall Street, uh, to uh, uh, government uh, officials and, and institutions. And we try, to, we try to model things out as much as we can. And it's, it's, a, it's a very unique uh, economic cycle, of course, for so many reasons. And if it's confusing for a lot of people, I totally understand. 
unless you're a total geeky nerd like me, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it could be like uh, uh, completely nuts. I, I will say over the July 4th weekend, you were doing quite a bit of work on this. You were following stuff. Of course, you still uh, you still wrote up the housing market tracker um, over the weekend, and then even on July fourth itself, you were you were looking at data. So yeah, you know what? You know what's one thing good about the the tracker? Of course, you know we 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 this is our big thing because this is how we track housing. Uh, a lot of people are starting to understand it. Right, they're starting to get the point of the ten-year yield and purchase application data and credit channels and inventory because they're connecting the dots. Sarah, they're being the detective, not the troll. Uh, and then it's like we always use dates, right? You know, I'm a big dates person, right? April seventh, twenty twenty, the COVID nineteen recovery model. May eighteenth, things should you know work. You know, even back uh, in October twenty seventh, twenty twenty two, if my 10-year yield forecast, mortgage rates falling didn't happen. I'm, you know, my, my stuff would be uh, much terribly uh, different this year. It'd be terribly wrong, I think. Um, but hopefully, this the tracker is is to, is here to teach. Like, I don't I don't need to do doom porn. Like, that's not me. I've especially on July fourth. I said, guys, if I ever turn to like these doom porn people, just block me, please. Something terribly happened in my life that did not go well for me to go to that avenue. But I'm here. The old high school basketball coach in me and the historian in me, we want to teach because if I do my job right, you finish my sentences, Sarah, right? And and then everyone kinds of understands this in a more normal fashion out there. So we are now halfway through the year. Um, we're looking at the second half of the year. Any bright lights from your perspective? You have relatives in lending. You were a loan officer. You understand this space it's tough. What any bright lights for the second half of the year? Well, I think one of the things that that has clearly been shown is that the if there were a ton of people like thinking, oh my God, housing's gonna crash and prices, I'm not gonna buy until two or three years, that obviously hasn't happened. And pe- millions of people buy homes every single year. I think we're gonna have near another five million total home sales. So the marketplace is still intact in that sense. Um but then the counter to that is the reason that's happening is because active listings are still low and the affordability issues are still here. So uh, to get a noticeable change for the existing home sales market, you're going to need uh, the 10-year yield to fall. You're going to need mortgage rates to go lower. That's that's a given. But the, the, the whole point of having uh, normal credit channels was that you have a functioning housing market, right? Freddie and Fannie are still doing loans, right? That's the thing. Credit is not getting tight in relationship to the demand curve. Mortgage rates are higher than normal after the financial, but you still have a functioning system. That wasn't the case, you know, back in uh, 2008. You know, credit boomed in 2005 and then it collapsed. And a lot of uh, 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 credit channels were taken off. We don't have that now. We just have a savagely unhealthy housing market with active listings rates, but, you know, at least the system is still functioning uh, um, out there. And uh, with that, again, people buy homes every single year. Uh, uh, that's, that, that is given. And, and hopefully 
when things start to get a little bit more normal on the inflation side and data side, mortgage rates could fall. And then we get back to a normal housing market where people list their homes, sell and buy, and we're up there. So what would that even be like? It's been so long. You and I have been talking about these crazy things since 2020. I don't even know what that would look like now. I, I think some of us, we would just like it to be normal and boring. Yeah. It's again, I, I'm, I'm throwing a party when I get 2019 inventory, like four months supply in the existing home sales market, over 30 days. Uh, NAR data active listings between 1.52 and 1.9. I, I use these numbers over and over again because I, to me, I got it was going to get diff, it was going to be difficult to get back to those levels, and it has been. And it's not obviously it's not going to be a 2023 story. So there are things that I'm going to look for toward the second half of uh, 2023, and hopefully some a little bit more green shoots on the inventory side for 2024. That'll be a big talking point of mine, but I'm going to wait until November and December to start explaining that because we, we, we've talked about this in February, having uh, the seasonal bottom and in inventory start out later and later is not, has not been a good thing for the housing market. And hopefully that changes uh, the, this year. Well, Logan, thank you so much for walking us through all the many things that are happening. We'll keep on our, our eye on the labor reports and talk to you again in a few days. Thank you. Pleasure, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment and make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.